everyone, and welcome to a special coronavirus episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Ian Rowe, a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We are all social distanced right now. We like to have this podcast. Usually we're in the same room, but now we're uh, several towns away. Yes, we're at least six feet away. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Ian and I are both based in the northern suburbs of New York, so we're at the epicenter of this crisis. But right now, I think we want to start first with the education situation. School districts across the country, of course, are shut down, some for weeks, some what might look like until the end of the school year. And so, Ian, I want to talk to you a little bit about your role at Public Prep, a charter school network in New York, and what you guys are doing to cope with this and how you're going to continue educating students for the foreseeable future. Yeah, we are at an unprecedented moment. Yeah, I run Public Prep, which is a network of single-sex public charter schools. We've five campuses in the Bronx in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, 2,100 students. And as of Friday, we ended our in-person instruction due to the coronavirus. Even though, you know, kids aren't necessarily susceptible to the virus, you know, they can be carriers. And we spent a lot of time thinking about the pros and cons of keeping our kids in school versus them being home and ultimately came to the conclusion even before the New York City Department of Education came to the conclusion that we should, and this is really important, we've not closed school. We've simply now shifted from in-person instruction to what we call digital instruction or remote learning. So Friday of last week was the last day that our kids were in class. You know, yesterday and today, our teachers are coming together via Zoom and other communication technologies and video conferencing where they are planning how they're going to teach and how the kids are going so to So let's let's talk let's just talk for a minute about the the contrast here. I mean, you and I talked about this like 2 weeks ago about how you were thinking about what would have to happen if you went online and everything. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, announced that they were shutting down schools at 5.30 on Sunday. On Sunday, uh, uh, the next Monday, for, I know. For, for parents on Monday. And it's so, incredible. you know, what is the message? I mean, we have friends who live in Brooklyn, and they were telling us that they even got an, an email from the principal of the school basically discouraging them from sending their kid to school because the teachers weren't going to come to school. What does this tell you about the responsiveness of public schools to the concerns of parents? Well, we could spend multiple podcasts <laughs> on, on the approach here. I mean, I think the criteria that, you know, the mayor was using, you know, for not closing was more focused on the fact that the perception that the kids needed food and childcare, you know, which is partially true. But, you know, there was this, this a real public health crisis and parents had legitimate concerns about sending their kids into what, in fact, could be a Petri dish. And so better late than never. But, you know, I think a lot of people were concerned with the mayor's slowness on responding here. And frankly, you know, what I'm more concerned with is the slowness of developing a real electronic delivery plan, because the primary reason we have schools is for teaching and learning, you know, not for child Yeah, now do your kids, did your kids already all have laptops at a certain grade level? No, no, not all of them. I mean, we did some surveying to get it, you know, well in advance to see, you know, what was the connectivity for our kids. So we've got a good sense of, you know, what kids do have technology at home. We were able to supplement that 
by some mm-hmm. distribution of Chromebooks. Comcast actually has now put out a program where they're delivering free Wi-Fi, primarily in low-income communities. So we are rapidly right. trying to get to the point where 100% of our kids have a physical device of some kind, whether it's a cell phone, an iPad, a computer, and then also connectivity, because that's the basic foundation we need for the distance learning. So how is this for the, like, for the youngest kids? Like my youngest daughter's in second grade has been doing some of this online learning. You know, it's the students have like a little bit of a meeting and then the teacher gives them projects to do kind of independently, assuming that the seven-year-olds are not going to be able to like sit there and pay attention to a teacher on a screen for multiple hours a day. How are you kind of thinking about the, you know, the age distribution of, you know, how you can do online learning? So a couple of things. So one is if you were to look at our materials, we have, you know, customized schedules by grade. So if, you know, kindergarten looks very different than our eighth grade, you know, where they can be much more independent, there's reading time, but still every grade has a fixed schedule that Mm -hmm. there is an assumption that there is an adult caregiver who is supporting the child, especially in the earlier grades. But, you know, usually there's a greeting in the morning by the homeroom teacher that the child knows. And that's, you know, we're utilizing Zoom technologies so that all the kids can see their teacher, you know, the person they, they know, you know, or teachers. And then there are a series of activities that are developmentally appropriate, both in terms of content and the expectation of how much time is spent in front of the screen. There are natural breaks we built into the schedule, you know, now go off and go outside or, or do something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but we, we try to think of, you know, as much as we can. And that's why we've had our teachers spending yesterday and today doing nothing but planning this. Like, what does the average day look like for a kindergartner, fifth grader, eighth grader? And yes, there is an assumption that an adult caregiver has to be present. And we recognize that that's a challenge, but we also have a lot more confidence that I think people are expressing. You know, there's this sort of trope, and oh my God, you know, these kids are going to be home. They've got nothing to do. They've got no food. They've got no childcare. We know our parents well, and, and we all recognize that this is an extraordinary situation. So have more confidence that our parents are thinking about childcare solutions and thinking about how to get nutrition to their kids. You know, that said, yeah. you know, we are setting up grab and go lunches that our parents uh-huh. can get. But, you know, I, I just hate this perception that our parents are just helpless and they need this, you know, the school system to be the caretaker for their child. And I think that's, that's right. No, I think most parents realize that we're, you know, in an emergency situation here. And I think the school systems are trying to do what they can. You know, one thing that definitely concerns me is this question that we're going to have in New York City. I mean, it's 1.1 million kids and many of them do not go to your school, especially older kids sort of might take this as an opportunity to not really be engaged in school. And not only would that, is that going to affect their learning, but one might also wonder what kind of trouble they're going to get into. And I think we're going to find ourselves in a situation where kind of New York's, I guess I would call it growing unruliness over the last couple of years. I worry that it's going to kind of come crashing into this crisis. And, you know, you're going to get some, some problems with some teens on the streets of New York, and we're, we're not going to really have the resources to deal with what's going on there. There are going to be a lot of externalities that we're all going to experience. This is, this is uncharted territory. You know, you're right that that may be a concern. You know, all we can hope for is that leaders lead right now at every level. And that although it, another friend of mine said she was not worried about it because 
all teenagers want to do is just stare at their phones now anyway. So maybe we don't need to worry about that situation. This is where science matters. I mean, information that this is a public health crisis, that social distancing right now is the only way to really slow down the spread of <clears throat> proverbial cough right at the moment I'm talking about the virus. Yeah, I'm yeah, fine, I'm job. fine, I'm fine. You know, so that kids need to know that everyone has a role to play. And we're saying this to our kids from, you know, four years old up until our 13-year-olds in eighth grade, that, you know, we are all part of the solution here. And I mean, you're right. Anytime you you do create a level of freedom to some degree, you know, kids or young adults, whomever might stray, but, you know, you got to have confidence in the leadership that has got to be clear that this is an extraordinary yeah. situation. We need everyone to, you know, row in the same direction. Yeah, and confidence in the parents, which kind of brings us into our other topic that we wanted to discuss today, which is, so all these parents who are suddenly homeschooling or suddenly have to find ways to entertain their kids for hours upon hours of unstructured time. I mean, we've had years now of every hour of our kids' afternoons and days being planned out. Now, all of a sudden, you wake up in the morning and now what? <laughs> it's true. I mean, the only reason I can be on this call right now on this podcast is because the Kennedy Center organized Mo Willems to do an hour-long doodling session. So My, my kids are doing that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. So, you know, what's, what's actually going to be interesting, I think, from this whole, you know, assuming we all get out of this alive, right? Because we're all going to practice social distancing yeah. and be responsible. Yeah. But I think, actually, I think we're going to discover that there's some pretty tremendous resources out there that we can engage our kids on. And maybe these, you know, devices don't only have to be for, you know, Roblox and Minecraft, and maybe there's something more educational and engaging. I think that's totally true. But I also do hope that parents take this as a little bit of an opportunity to think about what really does entertain your kids off screen. I mean, I can't tell you the number of art supplies I've ordered this week, of gardening supplies, we all got our bikes tuned up. I mean, all of these things that oh, we right. kind of don't take the time for and don't think about. I think Wait a that, minute. you know, planning, you're planning to do things as a family. Are you kidding me? What are you talking I, about? I, you know, maybe not all five of us, but, you know, <laughs> in groups. <laughs> no, I, I think, right. If we don't kill each other in the next few <laughs> weeks, um, I think there are parts of this that people will look back on and say, you know, wow, maybe everybody doesn't need to go off in their own individual direction every hour of the day, or maybe everyone doesn't need to be on their own screen. I mean, we've definitely watched a couple movies together as a family. We watched In Search of Bobby Fisher last night. We watched 101 Dalmatians. I mean, you know, every family is going to want something different, but Sometimes someone just needs to take control and say, this is what we're all going to watch together. And it's a different experience than five people sitting in one room on different screens, right? No, no, absolutely. And, and Sylvia, my wife, just created a schedule for the day. And, you know, the kids are doing their reading and then math. And, you know, then we have a family lunch. And so, you know, we're very blessed to be, you know, in this situation where, you know, where we can be relatively productive, still working full time while yeah. you know, enabling our kids to do work. I mean, you know, there, there is a flip side, which is that there are many families that are not in this situation. And, you know, there, there is a deep concern around, you know, what about parents who don't have the ability to, you know, not go to work? And then if they don't go to work, they're, you know, they don't see their wages. So we, we again, we're, we're in uncharted territory. And, and, you know, this is where real political leadership matters in terms of, 
you know, we're going to get through this virus, but the next two to three months will be crucial in terms of how we support, you know, very vulnerable populations. Yeah, I mean, and one of the the problems that arise immediately is that for families where you do have wage earners who can't just miss work and still expect to get a paycheck, is in the past, they might have depended on extended family in order to fill that role. And now, you know, you, you can't leave your child with grandma because right. grandma is one of the most vulnerable populations. So, you know, you're seeing kind of this additization too that almost has to happen, but it puts even more strain, you know, on single parent families, on, on hourly wage earners. So yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a difficult few months for folks in that position. And I know a lot of people I know are trying to, you know, do whatever they can, get takeout, give to their local food pantry, you know, offer to get groceries or go out for, you know, elderly people in the area. It's going to be an interesting test. It will. And, you know, hopefully kindness is what emerges most from here. You know, we're having our kids write letters to all of their friends and to their grandparents, you know, so, you know, bringing back some old school communication, you know, old school kindness, you know, what can we do for the folks in our community that are homebound? Can we send them letters? Can we actually order food for them for delivery? So, you know, hopefully all, you know, all of this, we, you know, come together as Americans, as a global community, because honestly, we have some rough months ahead. Praying for all of our listeners that you're staying safe, you're social distancing, you know, taking this situation very seriously. And we'll come out of all of this together. But, you know, we wish everyone well. Yeah. And we have total confidence, by the way, I think I do. And I think I'm speaking for you, too, that the kids are pretty resilient and that they're going to, you know, to be fine in all of this and that they're going to learn a great deal from this experience maybe get to spend a little more family time than usual, but that's not the worst thing in the world. You know, and at the other end, you know, they'll they'll have someone to write their college application essays about. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) And I think we all agree that teachers need to be paid more (laughs) because they are, they manage to do this every day for eight hours with, you know, 20 plus kids in a classroom and even greater appreciation for teachers. Yeah, better them than me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been a special coronavirus edition of Are You Kidding Me? I am Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Ian Rowe, visiting fellow at AEI. And you can get episodes of Are You Kidding Me? on AEI's website, usually the second and fourth Wednesday of every month, but this one may come out at a different time. We hope you'll join us again for another episode. Thank you.